never-ending suffering. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. John Stott said that we go out for the imperial majesty of Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't know, but I've been told when the saints come marching in, we roll so deep that they can't believe we sold out. God has often used students to do some of the most world-altering work imaginable. There are a thousand needs in the world. None compares to this one. But how great an injustice it is to know about eternal suffering and do nothing. The game is one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but instead have everlasting life. conference is a dream come true for me. I am praying for you that it will prove to be the beginning or a decisive moment as you look back someday of a dream come true for you in your life. Oh my God. 
goodness. It's an, it was a powerful conference. It was a great time. There were about 2,000 students there. Virtually all of them were college students, a few high school like Elisha. Uh, but they did a great job of bringing the word of God forward through some of the most amazing voices in the church today. Some of the most respected voices. Uh, one of the men that was there speaking uh, was a man by the name of John Piper. How many are familiar with John Piper? Yeah, a number of us are. What an amazing guy. You know, for 33 years, he was the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So at the ripe age of 70, he thought, i got to step down so some younger guy can come in and take my job here. So he did. And now he just does full-time preaching, writing, and blogging uh, on behalf of um, Desiring God Ministry. So it's 71. He says, I'm a teenager in a 70-year-old body. He's just alive and vibrant. Uh, he spoke on something called the Holy Spirit. It was a phenomenal time. Um, also, in addition to the elder statesman, we also had a younger man who is quickly becoming a statesman in the body of Christ. His name is David Platt. Uh, he is the former pastor of church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he is the author of a book called Radical, a uh, fabulous book. I want to encourage you to read it, but be warned. It is radical, and it will challenge you to your socks. And uh, he's also the founder of something called Secret Church, which is something he sponsors once a year through, um, through a telecast uh, to show us what it's like to worship in the underground church that many believers have to do today in, in various parts of the world. Today, David Platt is the head of the International Missions Board for the Southern Baptist Convention. He stepped down from his position as the leader of the church in the Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama, and he is now the full-time lead over the missions arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm thrilled about that. David Platt is all in for the gospel and for Christ, and he is going to take the uh, International Missions Board, and he's going to stand it on its head and push it into the very gates of hell. So John Piper was there, David Platt was there, uh, Jamie Greer was there as well. Uh, we have a Jamie Greer, I, I'm sorry, I follow her. So J.D. was there. Uh, he is the pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, uh, a 10,000-member church focused on international missions and church planting. Uh, they have a vision to plant 1,000 churches worldwide in a generation, and they've gotten off to a good start. This vision only came up recently, and uh, it says, uh, it, it, thus they are 150-plus plants in. So, in addition to these guys, there were also a couple of more. Um, man by the name of, let's see, Jim DeYoung, uh, Kevin DeYoung, uh, pastor up in the um, Minneapolis area, or uh, yeah, Minneapolis, there was Thabiti, and I can't pronounce his last name, uh, he's actually a local guy over in Annandale, uh, Max, uh, Max Stiles was there as well, and so all of these men and more were there to challenge all of us who had gathered with the word of God to the mission of God and the need of it in our world. And so we have this, this powerful, powerful truth. I'm getting this notice that I should turn my mic on. Is that better? Testing, testing, one, two. Ah, did I shut my mic off? That's my fault, not your fault. So thank you. <clears throat> okay. Wow, that's creepy, man. They're, they're like sending me messages on this thing. I'm seeing this thing flashing in red. It says, turn your mic on. It's like, what? Where does that come from? So I totally, okay, I'm off my game now. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Now, so these guys challenged us, and they challenged us around this thinking. 
this is what they focused on. It is this idea that hell is real, time is short, and Jesus said what? Jesus said what? That's right. Hell is real, time is short, and Jesus said go. Now, I took Elisha to this event, and uh, it was fabulous. And what I'd like to do this morning is kind of have us share some of our experiences, some of the truths, and some of the scriptures that they shared with us to kind of give you an idea of what we experienced. And I hope it will prove to be a good experience for you as well. So, Elisha, I want to invite you to come on up, and I want to invite you to join me over here. And... uh, We're going to do something a little different today. We don't normally have this kind of discussion format, kind of uh, uh, cool. By the way, you look good with uh, the head mic on, man. Thank you. I I like seeing you up here. (laughs) This is exciting for me as a dad, by the way, to have my son up here with me. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through these topics. Hell is real, time is short, and uh, Jesus said go. And what we're going to do is we're going to do it from a couple of perspectives. We're going to do it from Elisha's perspective as somebody who has a sense of calling of God on him to be a missionary, a cross-cultural missionary. And then myself and you all as as the church, this local expression of the body of Christ, what does that mean for us? And so we're going to try and carry this kind of dual dialogue on and encompass uh, both what God is doing in Elisha's life as well as what I believe God wants to do for us and with us as his people. Now, before we go any further, uh, we need to pray. We need God's enablement, and we want him to use his word and uh, what we're about to share. So if you would just bow your heads with me, let's just take a minute and uh, go before the, the king of the universe. Father, we pray that already uh, you have been glorified. Through the worship uh, that we have expressed towards your son, for his ultimate sacrifice, uh, for our salvation, and our rescuing from your wrath. Thank you so much for Jesus. And I pray now, Father, as Elisha and I share a little bit of what you allowed us to experience, that you would take these truths and make them real to each of our hearts, wherever we may be in the journey. Some of us may be on the front end of this journey of just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy really is and and, and what he has done and what he means. Others of us are on the other side of the cross. We've embraced Christ with our lives by repentance and faith, and we're now journeying with Jesus. Father, wherever we're at, would you please let the Spirit of God speak to us? We all have another step to take, and I pray that you would help us to know what that step is and to take it by your grace even today. Father, we love you, and that's only because you first loved us in your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. And the people of God said, amen, amen. Okay, well, Elisha, I'm going to give you the unenviable task of sharing with us some scriptures around the truth that hell is real. Yeah. So um, the very first thing we have to realize when we talk about hell is that almost all of what we know about hell and judgment comes from the lips of the one who died to save us from it. So it's a trustworthy um, verses coming from Jesus Christ himself. Um, because if hell was not real, there would be no need for Jesus to die, and there would be no need for Christianity. But instead, hell is real, as real as Jesus' 
death because he died to save us from it. Amen. Um, so in Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And uh, also in Matthew 22, 13, he says, um, he describes hell as a place of um, absolute loneliness, despair, total hopelessness. Describes it as the outer darkness, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this, this topic that we're starting with is very sober. You know, um, words fail us to describe the beauties and glories of a place called heaven. Human language just falls short of the ability to truly describe it. Uh, the other is also true when it comes to this place called hell. Uh, the human language fails us to be able to describe the atrocities and, and the horribleness of a place like this. And so, so trying to just, just talk about it like this doesn't really do justice to the reality uh, of it. Uh, I like what John uh, MacArthur uh, had to say uh, about this thing called hell. He said this, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven in order to warn men and women of its reality. In fact, somebody's actually gone to the trouble of looking through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the red words of Jesus and actually have come to the understanding that about 13% of all those red-letter words that Jesus spoke, 13% speak to the issue of judgment and hell. Would somebody get that? Thank you. Uh, and so the reality is it, it is a horrific thing that the Bible speaks a lot of. And somebody put it this way, and this really helps me to grasp it uh, even better. Uh, the words we like to use like saved and good news really have no meaning unless there is a hell to be saved from by hearing the good news. So the reality is there is a place called eternal suffering for those who have yet to embrace Christ with their lives. Sober, difficult, words fail us, and to some degree I think we're a little numb by it all. And I found it interesting, in the conference we went to, they didn't spend a lot of time camping on this issue because they assumed the reason we were there is because we understood it. But I think it's important that as we kind of move forward here that we put a place marker in here in our hearts and minds that hell is a reality for people that don't know Jesus. And unless they get intersected by the message of the good news and receive Christ, they're going to go into this Christless eternity. So that's the reality of this thing called hell. Uh, Elisha, how does this reality affect you personally? Uh, let me be a little more specific. How has this truth shaped your life and how it helps you to see others? Yeah, um, like you said, the, the truth of it is mind-numbing um, and heart and gut-wrenching and words fail to describe it, but... Um, I understand we, we know that the wrath of God must be poured out on unbelievers, uh, not so much because of the greatness of their sins, but because of the greatness of the one they've sinned against in God himself. Um, so that, that's the reason that there is eternal suffering, because there must be eternal justice. 
but with that eternal justice, God offers mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. This is the good news that sinners don't have to be apart from God forever because of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. You see, that was one of those moments where it's okay to step in and say, hallelujah, amen, all right, all right. Just, just kind of give you those prompts, all right, good. So, um, you've been away from school for two weeks, been good weeks, haven't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. traveled to uh, Indianapolis, to a conference, we've been to Washington State, and there's all these people with number 12 written on them everywhere up there, and they're a little obnoxious, but other than that, uh, Courtney, 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 um, uh, so, uh, but now we're home, and tomorrow, you go back to school. And so the reality is this, Elisha. What difference does it make that hell is real tomorrow when you go to school? Yeah. Um, first of all, I need to pray for patience um, because it's so easy to get upset over petty things that don't really matter and that, that doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. The anger of men doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. Um, but instead, pray that God would enable me and... Um, others to, to live loving lives, but speak the truth. In love, but speak. John Piper said at the conference, there is no gospel without words. No one was ever saved by taking a bowl of soup to them. It's, it's good, right. it, but it's the life of love is not the gospel. The gospel brings about the life of love. Yeah. Um, did I give you a little place marker? You did, yeah. Um, you suggested this, and I think it's a good idea just to um, periodically, when you're walking through the day, snap it against your wrist, and um, just a little reminder that that tiny bit of pain, it goes away so quickly, is nothing compared to the ongoing eternal pain and suffering that people will experience apart from the grace of God. So always keeping the mindset, keeping yourself focused that it's not just let's pass through life, but we have a mission and a job to do. Can I see that Alaska? See, I wanted to linger a little longer the pain there, so he appreciates it a little bit. By the way, they make elastics all the time. Did you know that? Um, on the church side of this issue, uh, we need to understand that biblically there's only two kinds of people in the world. You know, we're very quick to kind of carve up the world in various people groups and various ethnicities and various political persuasions, and they're with us or not with us or whatever. But in the Bible, there's virtually only two kinds of people. There are those who have come to know God as their Father by embracing His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord by repentance and faith. Those are called the children of God. That's one group of people the Bible speaks of. These are those who have eternal life. These are those who will enjoy the blessedness of eternity in the presence of God. So that's one group. And the other group is those who aren't. And keeping in mind that that's how God sees humanity, those who are his and those who aren't, and those who need to become his. And so I just want to encourage us as a church, as we start to move our way forward, we're actually going to kind of dedicate a number of weeks over the next few weeks to this issue of what it means to be the church in the world. And I want to encourage you that maybe to help you in this prospect, put an elastic on your wrist, and every once in a while pull it and let it go. And when you feel that little bit of pain, let it be a reminder to you that those apart from Christ will experience eternal suffering apart from him. 
Would you pull that elastic again and show me how it works? Yeah. You didn't pull it hard enough. Try it one more time. That's better. Ah, that hurt. All that to make a point. That that hurt, but that's nothing compared to the harm and the hurt that people are going to experience apart from Jesus Christ. So we as a church, as we move forward, I want to focus more on our responsibility to reach out to those around us with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This conference helped to renew this passion uh, within me. So we've talked about the issue that hell is very much real. But also, they talked a little bit about the idea that time is very short. Uh, Courtney asked uh, or mentioned already this morning about the one-year uh, Bible reading. How many people have taken up that, that uh, desire to do the one-year Bible reading? Okay, not enough. Okay, the rest of you can all jump on, on with us. Oh, with that in mind, uh, let me just do this. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do this. You give me just a minute. I have no idea. Goodbye, Elisha. Would you finish up? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um... <laughs> we keep talking about the church app that we have. And I just want to encourage you to go and, and download it because you can simply click on our church app. It will bring to you what's going on here at the church, messages, I'm new, connect, give. And there's a whole thing in here called Bible and Prayer. Under the one-year Bible, there's a chance to find the schedule for reading it in your own personal Bibles. There's also this one-year Bible reading blog, and the new blog pops up every single day. It's right there in this uh, church app. Uh, version, where you can download and use the version. Yesterday was a little busy for me, so I turned the version on audio and listened my way through it because I didn't have the time to sit down and read all the way through it. But I'm keeping on track by doing that. So I want to encourage you to do this. And so all of this is there for you, and I hope you'll find it to be an encouragement. And I added one other thing under prayer, and it's called Unreached Peoples. There are 6,000 unreached people groups in the world, and something called the Joshua Project puts an unreached people group before you, one every day, for you to be praying for these people who need Christ. So that's all on the church app, and so I want to encourage you one more time to download that app. There, that was my commercial. Let's move on. So, how many are doing the one-year Bible reading? How many more hope to do it? Oh, good for you. Awesome. We just got some more people to join us. This is good. In our one-year Bible reading, um, we read Genesis chapter 5 on Tuesday. And uh, so as we were making our way through Genesis, there's this interesting word that kept popping up in Genesis chapter 5, and it's concerning Adam's descendants. And it says this, Adam, after he fathered Seth, uh, he lived 800 more years. And he had fathered other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Adam that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died, is what Genesis chapter 5 uh, in verse 4 says. But then in verse, um, actually verse five, 5 says, and then it goes on to say this, in all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And it says, and then all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he, very good. Uh, and all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he, all the days of Jared were eight, 962 years, and he, and he died, and he died, and he died. This is called the tombstone section of the Bible. So we have God's creation, God's love, man's fall, and the result of that fall was break in relationship with God, and physical death is a result. So the reality is, no matter how long you live, some of these guys live nearly a thousand years. They still all die. 
no matter how long your life is, the result is ultimately we are all going to go by the way of death. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 that um, after, after death comes the judgment. Uh, and so we find in Revelation chapter 20 these words. There's a judgment coming. Revelation 20 and verse 11. It says, when I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, it said, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. This is Jesus. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, and they died, and they died. And all people since then have died, the great and the small, no matter what their political position or life standing was. They stood before this throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in those books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. And then death and Hades, this is the grave, were, were, um, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of of fire. So what it's saying is this. Hell is real. Time is short and babies cry. But if this is true, if people die and judgment is coming and if they're apart from Jesus Christ, how then should we live as God's people? I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this. In verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they're not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they're not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it, where the present form of this world is passing away. It's, it, what it's saying is time is short. You don't live like the rest of the world lives. We don't act like the rest of the world acts. We don't see people in any other way than they need Jesus. Because hell is real, time is short. And it changes the way we live our lives. And Paul modeled that beautifully in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 19. When he said this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews, I have become a Jew in order to win the Jews. And those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, although not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, the law of love, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Hell is real. Time is short. Which means it needs, we need to change the way we live to be a part of God's mission in this world. Okay, Elisha. Hell is real, time is short, death is sure, sin's the cause, and the cross is the cure. How does this reality touch your life? Yeah, it, it, gives, us, it gives us a 
growing reality of the lostness and the hurt in our world. Um, coming back from the cross conference, we got on the plane, and there wasn't enough room for us to sit next to each other, so he was up a few rows on the left, and I was sitting back here, and um, I sit down between a, a dad and his, like, toddler son, so it's going to be a fun trip, and then on the right is a middle-aged woman with, like, her headphones on, so I sit down, I take out my Bible and start reading and praying, which was recommended by one of the speakers there, because they said whenever they get on a plane, they just pray and read their Bible that God would bring someone to them to hear, or to hear the truth that they're reading about. Um, so I was reading and praying and um, didn't want to interrupt because kid, and then um, she had her headphones on. I didn't want to just interrupt with um, the Bible. But 15 minutes left in the flight, and um, this woman who I've been praying would uh, just turn and ask me something turns and asks me something and says, so I see you're reading the Bible. And I was trying to contain my excitement because I was like, I am, yeah. So um, I tell her that and she's like, well, I'm an atheist and a lesbian. I'm like, okay. And um, I don't believe that any of that is true. But even as she was saying that, I had been praying for over an hour that God would have this woman talk to me. And he is faithful and proved himself faithful. And I got to talk with her. And um, she, she kept coming back to the point that um, clearly she didn't believe in a God, but if we just love each other and um, solve our issues and get along, then all the problems in our, in our country, in our world, with the environment, all those things will just be fixed and we'll be able to get along. And um, I, I tried to explain, her, explain to her that the only way that that could ever happen, the only way that love could ever have that effect is if it is the true love of Jesus Christ. Um, sadly, she didn't want anything of that, but um, it was a civil conversation. We didn't start yelling at each other, which was good, and um, I continue to pray for her. So. Amen. Amen. So that lady is uh, one of those around us who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we know many others, but the reality is it's not just the circles we know. Uh, the need is is everywhere. In fact, they gave a powerful illustration, and I'll let you go ahead and share it about the need worldwide. Yeah, they, they said that if every believer reached out and shared the love of Jesus Christ with all those they knew, so not the unreached, the reached, the reachable, the people that they know um, and can literally touch. Family members, Family members friends, friends, co-workers. Yeah. Okay. People that you can literally reach and share the gospel with, even if all of those people came to faith in Jesus Christ by a miracle of his power and his grace, there would still be three billion people who would not be Christians because they have no one who can touch and share the gospel with them. Think about that. Three billion people have no one to reach them. Someone to put a hand on their arm and to tell them of the love of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. 3 billion people, 40% of our world is considered to be unreached because there's no one to reach them. And they're considered to be those who are beyond the present message of the gospel uh, because there's no relationship for it to be related to them. And so that's a dire reality of our world. And, and so Elisha senses a call of God on him to help meet that, that global need. 
but for those of us here in the church, um, here at home, um, our family members apart from Jesus, our neighbors apart from Jesus, uh, our co-workers apart from Jesus, our, our student, fellow students apart from Jesus, they're not considered unreached because God has us in their lives to reach them. So everyone around us are not considered unreachable because God has his people here to reach them. And that's really our burden as a church. We are here to reach our community. We are here to reach our loved ones. We are here to reach the people that we can reach with the message of the gospel of Jesus. And uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going to show you where we're going over the remainder of this month and all of next month to be a church that can reach out in the love of God with the message of Christ to those around us. Hell is real. Time is short. And Jesus said, go. and Jesus said what? Go. He said, go. Go. Somebody go. Share with us the uh, verses from Jesus. Yeah, but first, that's the entire reason that we go, because Jesus himself said, go. He's the one. In, in the video that just played a minute ago, um, John Piper quotes John Stott and says, we go out for the imperial majesty of Jesus Christ. Amen. We obey because it is King Jesus, imperial majesty. And he tells us in uh, Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, not just, not just the 200 how many we have countries, countries in the right. world, but actual languages, different people groups. people groups, the tribes in the Amazon jungle that have not been reached, all of those nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says the same thing in Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation also in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Hell is real. Time is short. And Jesus said go. So why don't you share with us how Jesus is sharing with you how you should go. Yeah, so these verses and what we've talked about, hell is real, time is short. Um, they, they provide the basis as to why it is utterly urgent to go. But uh, myself personally, I, I feel, I sense a, a pressing of the Holy Spirit in my life to point me um, towards the country of Peru and South America to be a foreign missionary, full-time, I think. I'm not too sure about that yet. But um, I think... I know that is true because uh, when I was 12 years old, I came back from a football practice and um, just sitting in my house, um, had read a missionary biography the night before, and the Lord speaks to me, um, clear voice, says, I want you to be a missionary. And however that is to be, he's leading me towards that. Okay, and you were not concussed at football practice? I was practice. not, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So we believe this was the voice of God in his life, and I've given him an out every single year since then. 
and he has never taken the out. I don't want to press him into a place God doesn't want him. I just simply want God to guide him, and God continues to guide him down this pathway. Yeah, he continues to confirm the truth of this um, at the cross conference, even going to the cross conference, which is designed to mobilize students for evangelism. Um, and there was a the IMB, International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they had... Um, this booth or this massive complex booth set up and they had cards for mission trips, long-term, short-term, six weeks sort of thing. And um, I found, I was like scouring the thing, trying to find one for Peru and there was one card on there that um, it's called the Summer Sojourner in Peru for six weeks. The project description, spend six weeks with a team of students in the Andes Mountains making disciples among a native community. I read that, and it, that, that's like, that's everything. That right there is like my, my goal and my desire, as, as Paul says in uh, Romans fifteen twenty, which is one of my favorite verses. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Um, and it's uh, my desire and prayer that the Lord would use me to um, help the unreached people learn a word for the word who became flesh. And so right now in uh, Peru, uh, there are about a half a dozen people groups that they have described as unreached. Uh, they are both in the high mountain regions as well as down in the headwaters of the Amazon in the jungle areas. And so at this point, it seems like God is pointing you in that direction. So to get there, not only do you wish to go to Peru this summer, but you are also planning to do something else. Yeah, I'm hoping and praying that in the next couple weeks I'll receive a letter in the mail from Moody Bible Institute, an acceptance letter. Uh, that'd be nice. That would, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just a letter. Yeah. Not just a letter. Um, so praying for that, um, to, to go there for the upcoming fall semester in uh, major of intercultural ministries. Amen. Amen. So God seems to have placed his hand on Elisha's life to go, and by that I mean cross-culturally, to a people group that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, somebody to reach them, put an arm on the shoulder, explain the love of God to them. Um, I love the conference because I found it to be extremely balanced. They didn't lift up those who go as though they were super saints and they were amazing, better than everybody else, kind of like second-class citizens, those who don't go. I love the way they described it. Um, David Platt uh, came up on the final day of the conference after everyone else had spoken into our lives, and he, he, before he even spoke, said, at the end of my time of sharing with you, I'm going to ask you to stand if you believe God wants you to go cross-culturally to meet a need elsewhere in the world. And by the way, about 400 kids did, so praise God for that. Uh, but he said, for those who remain seated... I want you to understand that if you have not been called to go, that if you stay seated, God has called you to send. And so he said, it's not that there's one class better than another. All I want you to do is be obedient to whatever God is calling you to do. If he's calling you to go, you better go. If he's calling you to stay, then you better send. You need to be obedient wherever God has called you. And so Elisha stood, and I remained seated. Because at this point, God has not called me to a cross-cultural context. He's called me here. Which means, as part of the church, it is our responsibility to ask God, 
do you want me to go? And if he says no, then how do I help support those who are going to go? That's the responsibility of the church as a whole. Uh, I love the way that it puts it in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. It says about the church in Antioch, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, it says that the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then the church fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and it says, and they sent them on their journey to be missionaries in the first missionary journey. So the church sent them and supported them, no doubt through physical means as well as prayer. Paul, in writing to the church in Philippi, said this in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. The church sends, the church gives aid, the church supports. And then in Romans chapter 15 and verse 24, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, said, when I go to Spain, I'm going to come your way. And I hope you will see me on my journey to be helped on my way by you there if I might enjoy your company for a while. So the church's role is to enable those who are called to go, to send them out and to supply their needs as they go. We as a body here are very blessed. Right now, God is calling some folks out of our midst to go cross-culturally to share the love of God. And are the Edelins here right now? Edelins here? They're iced in. Oh, dude, that's too bad. That's right, they're going to Papua New Guinea where they don't get iced in very often, I know. But God is calling them back to the mission field, and they're going to be teaming up with Wycliffe, who has already accepted them, and they're going to be involved in Bible translation work there. Now, the missions committee here has affirmed them, and has, we are supplying them some resources. But we're going to need to give them so much more. We're going to need to be praying for them and continually sending care packages to them and showing them the love of God as they go. We supply and support. Uh, I hope this summer, as Elisha moves forward to go to Peru, investigating God's will for his life, I trust that we as a church will get behind him and support him, and encourage him as he seeks to go. Uh, it's also my desire that we as a church will uh, continue to move forward in the whole area of international missions. I know we have a number of missionaries right now that we are supporting and growing in our support levels too. Even though as other churches are cutting off support, we are growing support to those that we presently support, praise God. But I would also like to see our budget for missions grow to be a tithe of what our church budget is. Our church budget is just over a million dollars. I would love to see us get up from about $60,000 to $100,000 supporting missions in the life of our church. And I would really like to see it go to those who are going to the unreached and unengaged people of our world. Let me share with you a statistic that I found very hard to swallow in light of the fact that hell is real, time is short, and Christ says go. It's this. The 1040 window are 69 countries that sit between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north latitude, covering North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. 
This is the heart of Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. It has been estimated that 90% of the 4.4 billion people living in the 1040 window are unevangelized, and yet only 10% of our global missionary force serves there. And so I would love to see us as a church work alongside Encompass, which is our mission organization, to be a consortium of churches that works with them to put uh, people and resources in these least reached areas of the world. Why? Say it with me. Hell is real. Hell is real. Time is short. And Jesus said, go. Every day. How many people die? I did the math. It was like 6,316 every hour. Um, that's just a general statistic from around the world. And um, we, we may want to hope that a few of those out of that 6,000 plus are saved, um, would know Jesus, but we can know without a doubt that around 40%, almost half of those 6,000 will go into nothing but a Christless eternity. Somebody said this, actually, Joseph Stalin said this, you won't hear me quote him often in here, so he said, one death is a tragedy, but millions of deaths are merely a statistic. And so many of us, three billion people, that's a statistic. But the people in our lives, that's a tragedy. And as we as a church move forward into 2017 together, I would love to see us catch more of this missionary fervor to send those who are going cross-culturally and to go next door and to engage our neighbors and our loved ones because they need Jesus. Amen? They need Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here today, you've walked in here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal uh, savior from, from hell, uh, the one who gave his life for your life. We'd love to have a few minutes to talk with you just to help you understand what we're talking about here because what we've been talking about is very hard to understand if you've got no context. We would love to give you some context to understand. That. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray to close our time uh, in Alaska. I should go back to his seat uh, after I pray. And uh, then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table in the next few moments together. So if those people who are serving would want to come forward, let me pray, and then we'll segue to the Lord's table. Father, thank you again for the opportunity you have given to Elisha and I uh, to go to this conference. Uh, it was a privilege. It was an honor. Uh, but it's also a huge responsibility to sit under that kind of teaching of the Word of God. And so, Father, I thank you that on Elisha's life, you seem to have a calling on him to be a cross-cultural missionary. And for that, I thank you. But, Father, for those of us who aren't called in such a way, you have a calling on us to support those who go and also to reach out to our neighbors uh, with the love of Jesus. They're not unreached because you have us in their lives to reach them. So, Lord, continue to use these truths in our hearts and our minds. Challenge us, I pray. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you, Elisha. Uh, gentlemen, please hand.